0: Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray.
1: And I'm Sarah Moss.
0: And Sarah, it's so great to have you here again. Mm-hmm. You know, we love having you a part of us because you are also our blog lady, yes. which is so fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And, it's great. And, and read more of John.
0: Oh, so and John is so amazing. We're going to be reading a lot of John between these epistles and then Revelation. Yeah. Right after, it's kind of fun to get to know John. Matter of fact, John wrote these epistles, and one of the problems we're going to be talking about this with these epistles, but also with Revelation, we're not exactly sure when he did this. And there's a lot of discussion in terms of the timing, because these epistles were probably done between the the late 60s, so like anywhere between 69 A.D. to 100 A.D., now, John would be really, really yeah. old, you know, especially if it was closer to the 100. And that's the reason why a lot of people discuss the timing on this, because they're like, okay, how could John write these and be so old? But John the Beloved was
2: transformed. exactly, So he could write them... After everybody else, years later.
0: (laughs) There's no time limit. Exactly, and and but that's the reason why because other religions don't completely understand that they'll oftentimes put the timing of writing these very at a different time at an earlier time like around the time that Peter wrote his epistles they'll say oh well John must have written these about the same time. And so realize we'll we'll talk more about that in terms of revelation when this is. But this was probably written during the time that he was in Ephesus. So John during you know, the end of what other people consider his life, he was in Ephesus for a, a very long period of time. Now one of the issues here too is Christians, this is Kind of, you know, like we said, a long time after, and I'm kind of going, it was probably more like 100 A.D. or maybe even later. Because at the very beginning, the Christians are trying to kind of say, well, did Christ really live? They're really questioning whether he ever came on earth or whether he really ever had a mortal body. And they're questioning whether he really existed or not. And if you read the very first verse, and I'm going to look, at, as I said many times, that you know, look at the the Joseph Smith translation. But if we look at the very first verse here, he starts with, "I'm looking at Joseph Smith translation." Brethren, this is the testimony which we give of that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and realize he did hear which we have seen with our eyes, because he did see with his eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So he was probably, if not the only, then one of the very few that was still alive that had actually seen, handled, heard the Savior. And so one of the things that John is trying to do in these epistles is to establish for the Christian church, that yes, Jesus Christ did live and he did suffer for our sins, and he did do all of those things that were written in the gospels. And so for me, that's that's really powerful that we had even here, just you know, a few you know decades after the Savior had passed, that we still have this questioning. You know, did Jesus really live? What really happened? The other themes that we see in these epistles kind of go back to when we were talking about the Gospel of John, where he brings in this theme of love and the theme of light. And so for me, 1 John chapter 4, I call it the love chapter. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I did in my scriptures is I counted every single time John used the word love. And I put a little heart. Next to each one. So guess how many times he uses the word love just in chapter four. I can't even
1: oh, guess. Wow. Yeah. It's got to like, be like. So at least 12, I'm going to make a guess 23. Oh, More than that. I guess it was like 40. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> well,
0: look, I'll read verses seven and eight and just count how many times in these two short little verses. How many times he says the word love? Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So and how many like, times?
2: No, I've got seven. What?
0: You know, a beloved, if you count. If you count beloved. beloved right. So, right there in those two short little verses, you were
1: right. Six, you win. Thank you very much. Six
0: times. I mean, that's pretty significant when you think how many times he does it. I counted well over 30, you know, beloved and some of the others. You might kind of go, okay, we could have a discussion about those, but it's well over 30 that he uses it. And so he truly is this loving, loving, loving apostle that's trying to teach us how to love, what to love, who to love. of those things is definitely a theme. Along with that, in 3 John, we also have a person that he loves, which is Gaius. He was a church member who was loyal during a time of rebellion in the church. Matter of fact, we kind of have the name of one of the people that were part of this rebellion, Diotropes. Uh, John kind of warns Gaius about this man, saying that he probably was a local leader who had openly opposed John and other church leaders at the time. So he shows how much he loves Gaius for his faithfulness as a righteous example of staying true, even when other church leaders are starting to kind of go against the main, you know, the the general leadership of the church. The other thing that I want to just introduce was this of uh, Jude or Judah. We do think that it's um, Judah who's mentioned in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And in that verse, it's it's a well-known verse, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses, and of Judah and Simon? So we get the names of the Savior's brothers, and Judah, we think, is also Jude, in that he is also calls himself the brother of James, who would have been the bishop of Jerusalem, who we've talked about before. And in the Joseph Smith
2: translation, it says specifically the brother of Jesus.
0: Right. And so I, I think that's pretty significant, that he too was strong and faithful. Right. But haven't
2: you heard that his name was shortened to Jude, so I wouldn't be uh, connected to Judas Iscariot, right. who had denied Christ. So because his name was Judas, and and by calling him Jude, it separates him, so... I do think that's kind of cute.
0: Well, and we learned some pretty significant things from Jude. And so I did want to just kind of point out three things that we learned. The first one is this is a period of church time. Like we already said, there were a lot of opposing viewpoints that were coming up. One of them that was becoming significant in the church was that sexual immorality was okay. And realized that during this Roman time when the Rome, Romans were taking over the world, and literally they were the world power, this idea of sexual immorality was just kind of a part of the way they lived. And so a lot of Christians, because realize it wasn't just in Jerusalem, but it was in all of the areas of Rome that Rome was taking... So this idea of, you know what, sexual morality is okay, you know, it's kind of what the Romans do, it's kind of part of our society, and Jude is very strong, and he says, no, that is not okay, and I love this description. He says that these people are filthy dreamers that defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. I love it. They despise
2: dominion. They despise authority. Mm -hmm. And we see that same attitude around us so many times that, you know,
0: despising authority, despising dominion. And then the other thing, he mentions the first estate in, you know, Jude 1 6. He talks about that. And that's the only time in the New Testament where we have that phrase. And then the third is he's the only person that mentions this story of Michael or Adam and Satan contending over the body of Moses. Yeah. Which is a really interesting story, you know, that he's, he's kind of giving us examples of how prophets have conquered Satan. And I really do feel that Jude is trying to say, look, we can do it because he's also dealing with a period of time when the Christians were under attack. And so he's kind of saying through the Savior, Jesus Christ, and I think it's significant that this would have been his half-brother, that he says we can be faithful. We can conquer. We can be victorious. So I know this idea of John, God is light, God is love. I just love that concept.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's one that's like talked about in all of all of um scripture it's it's mentioned yeah in in the book of mormon and i've i've found some in the old testament and so it's a it's an analogy that a lot of prophets have used to kind of um, help us on in this path um and so yeah and john in in first john um he says then this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that god is light and in him is no darkness, and that's John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5. And so this kind of like, like God is light. We all have the light of Christ in us, but God himself is light. Um, and so I was wondering if you guys have ever, have you guys ever lit in a candle and then held it up to see its shadow? And it's really interesting because you can see the candle, but like the fire on the end of a candle, there's, there's no shadow for... Um, for for fire for flame for light. And so this this idea that there's no darkness in him at all. But in us, we all cast a shadow. We all have this kind of mortal body and mortal um just kind of natural man that we that we carry with us.
0: But I do want to make a comment on that is that God still has a body of flesh and bones. Yes. And we do believe yes. that because this idea of God is light. We don't want people to think that we that, think that He is some true. kind of amorphous, you right. know, yeah. a light being. Yeah. Instead, He's full of light. He's filled mm-hmm. with right. light, and He's yeah. a symbol of
2: light. Exactly, with the same properties that light have—the mm-hmm. ones of growth, and beauty, and love.
1: That's true. Yeah. Right. And, power. and yeah, and it's our it's our natural man. It's our mm-hmm. it's our spiritual imperfection that is causing this. Our, our us not to be able to reach that um, light right now, or I guess not. We can we can have it with us. We can have him with us. Um, so in verse 7, he continues to say, but if we walk in the light, so now we're walking with Christ, we're walking with God, um, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. So that's how we gain more light is walking with him. But I want to continue. It's um, in 2 Nephi seven eleven. he says, behold, all ye that kindle fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire. And in the sparks which ye have kindled, which shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. And so it's interesting because in, in Nephi, um, it talks about us uh, kind of kindling the fire ourselves. So, so surrounding us with the light of christ
2: and i like that it says even sparks even like sparks, even a little yeah. tiny just, piece, just, isn't that just cool I walk know, in this the little light starting. you have and it will grow
1: um and so but then also if when you in in john 7 it talks about the fellowshipping one with another and so a lot of when he's talking about walking in light it is with other people and so i even think some of those sparks is and we've talked about, um, when we were talking in Peter, we were talking about that linking each other. It's walking with others on the same path. Um, and, and I think having that light, sometimes I have light of myself, and other times my light is so dim, and I need to hold on to the light of my husband or my ministering sisters that come share their light with you, um, the light with us. But there's a lot of um, community in walking, in walking in the light, because I think it's hard to do it by ourselves. And so, in in First John, um, two verse eleven, he says, "But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, mm-hmm. and uh, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes." So we have this walking with other people towards God is this light that we have together. And the second, you hate your brother kind of puts out your light. And once you close your eyes to your neighbor or your brother's light, you're all of a sudden all by yourself and walking in darkness.
0: Well, and, and I love that concept of the sparks. I wanted to go back to that yeah. because when, you know, we, ha- we have a fire pit in our backyard and when we build a big fire, you know, that's great. But oftentimes when it's really dark and we have that fire in the middle, those sparks... Are the ones that you oftentimes even see more. I mean, they're more yeah. startling. And I think sometimes when we're walking in the dark, which oftentimes we are in the world, those sparks, you know, when we can be the spark that right. helps, you know, bring the light in the darkness, yeah. that that can be even as powerful as the big bonfire, you right. know, in terms of yeah. helping other people. Well,
2: and I loved when you said when he hated his brother, he walks in the dark. Mm-hmm. And the other night we were camping with um, Brian and Rachel, and we were trying to build a fire, and we were getting it really good, and we felt like it was almost there, and then someone put on too much, and it just, and you were like, what, in a minute? But there's certain things that just Just extinguish even a strong fire, and having hate or animosity Mm -hmm. just extinguishes, like you've got to work those things through. To the point, and sometimes the way you work them through is with the Lord, is turning to the Lord and praying it out so those feelings are taken from your heart.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of of our family connections kind of can be a light. And it's interesting that we use the idiom, you burn, like burning all your bridges, because really, it's kind of a spark of like passion and fire, but it leaves you But it's the the wrong fire. It's the wrong fire. (laughs) I I know people who stranded have used it uh, a momentary kind of being blinded by anger or hate and have cut off um, relationships, relationships and, and now yeah. they are so alone and they don't have their, their parents and they've cut off all the relationships be, between their siblings and now they're just so alone. And I've seen some of them um, have had kind of embers from their family reconnecting and it's brought them back and they've able to have that but I really, it can be quite damaging to have that anger in a split moment um, burn a bridge. Um, and so I found a talk by President Eyring that actually says, it's titled, Walk in the Light. And so he says, the fact that you are listening now is evidence that God recognizes your great importance and that you have chosen to walk in the light he offers you. Such choices are not always easy to see clearly. You make choices every day and almost every hour that you keep walking in the light or or moving away toward darkness. Some of the most important choices are about what you set your heart on. There are also there are so many things that you may consider desirable. For instance, all of us want or some degree the, to some degree the approval of other people. All of us need to f- feel the need of friends. All of us are searching for some evidence that we are persons of worth. We make choices based on those desires. Some of us lead us away from the light of God, other on, offers us as a guide. Some may brighten that light by which we can find our way. Um And so this kind of brings into the love aspect of this, the light that we're given that we can walk with is so based in God's love for us um, and our love for other people because it is this path that we walk together. Uh, And so... In, in John 3, he continues with that love, and he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Wherefore, the world knoweth not because it knew him not. And so I thought this interesting that it's the is what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we're called the sons of God. And this kind of idea of we're all children of God and this family walking um, on the path together. Um, and so what do you think of of God's love, of God's love towards you. Do you think, how does your experiences change how you feel it in walking the path and with other people? And it's so
2: interesting that you said what manner of love hath the Lord bestowed because it's really the love you give as a parent. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, like a young toddler who's struggling, we were talking about this earlier, and they fall, if you constantly run and go, oh, and try and make them always feel good, they actually won't have the confidence to continue to fall until they can stand on their own feet, and so it's not always a coddling love. Sometimes it allows us to stumble, but but still not really hurt ourselves. Because if right. there's serious injury, then of course we intervene. But um, but I do think that's the manner of God's love, and it was to remember that, then we don't get frustrated when He doesn't come the minute we call.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and I think along with that too, if I feel it's also an opportunity to, for me to trust the Lord, to, sh- me, to show my faith. So if the Lord, every single time I fell, came and said, oh, it's okay, and, and mm-hmm. did that, then how do I develop faith? Mm-hmm. How do I develop that opportunity to walk in the darkness? So I also need those experiences to show my love for Him. To show that I trust in him and that I believe in him and I have faith in him, that he will help me. I have hope. And so I can't have that hope unless I'm able to show that because he's not always, you know, he's not always gonna lift me up. Right. And so I need to be able to walk into the darkness and show that. that
1: Exactly. D and C ninety five one actually says, Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, whom I love. um, and whom I love I also chasten. Mm-hmm. that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement, I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things out of temptation. And I have loved you. And I love that he ends that kind of like statement with, I, this is out of love. But I think it's hard because as a parent, I have to love my... I I don't love my children differently, but I have to show that love differently because of how their personality is. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's easy to, I don't know, have... have um momentary anger for brothers or anger for those around you because you feel like they're getting love from God differently. Like, I want that love for God. Why can't I have that? I'm just being chastised over and over and over, <laughs> when really you're just in different parts of the path. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thing is, I often feel like I am chastised a lot. Do you guys, do you feel chastised by the Lord or do you think he loves you in a different way to lead you towards that? Um, the deliverance and all temptation?
0: Well, I think the word chastisement is an interesting one, because we give it a negative connotation, but Mm -hmm. is it really? So one thing, I I was talking to a friend of mine about my temple experience, and when I go to the temple every week, I go with the spirit of, Lord, help me know what I must do better. And when I'm in the temple, I get a lot of answers about what I need to do to do better. That's chastisement, but is that negative? And so I said this to a friend of mine. I said, you know, every time I go to the temple, the Lord tells me exactly what, you know, I'm doing wrong, what I need to do better. And she said, well, then why do you go to the temple? You know, for me, (laughs) I would, you know, for me, I would see that as so negative. And I said, well, no, it makes me feel so loved that he's involved in my life. So I think it's also how we feel about chastisement, too, in terms of how do we view that word and how do we view the correction that the Lord will give to us.
1: And I'll say, I think it's when, how we ask for it, or I guess I should say if we ask for it. Because when I ask that question, what lack I yet, and there have been a whole bunch of talks about it, I'll get answers to that and it won't feel as, it won't sting as hard when I'm like ready to receive them. But there have been times where I haven't been asking, and I'll receive revelation. Well, see, and that's where
2: I, th- when you were talking about what you get in the temple, I don't look at it as a chastisement. I look at it as inspiration. Oh, chastisement to me is when you're going the wrong direction. It's like, nope, come back. And so chastisement has a little bit of a sting to it. Whereas I think that when you're asking, like, what I lack, I get, and you get answers... There often isn't that sting like you're open, so chastisement seems like a correction. Oh, sometimes it's a wrong... sting,
0: though. I mean, right. sometimes right. you can it's have something you're not thinking, that that you're not thinking. right. right. You're true. like, that's okay, okay really? Oh, but I, but you
2: are right. right if you're asking for it, it there's feels a different, different,
0: heart it feels different than when it's a surprise, yeah.
2: And then that's that's why I think people think it's negative because usually when they're chastised. You're going down a wrong path, and something big will happen. You get zapped, and you're like, "Oh,
1: okay. well, and that's not doing the, that the again." The chastisement I prepare a way for their deliverance in right. Their temptation. Right. Those are usually I'm falling a little too far into temptation, and right. And immediately off. something big happens, and it's the worst when you ignore that chastisement. And but it's then, a
2: gift to wake you up.
1: It is. But right. you just is. have
2: to remind yourself when it's a gift. That it, it's a <laughs> gift.
1: Yeah. But I'm, and again, I love that ending of where even after. He says all these things he ends with i have loved you
2: mm.
1: and so i just want to go back to his love chapter john 1 4 and he says in 6 to 8 we are of god and he knoweth god and he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error and i think that's interesting because it's um we can be led by that love to, to recognize truth and error, error. And he continues, said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And I think that's interesting is because I definitely get chastised the most for that lack of love, for those moments where I am angry with my children or my husband and I and I kind of turn away from the light and turn away from walking in light, and he's like, "Oh, that's not what that's not what this mm-hmm. is about. Mm-hmm. That's not the your purpose here." Um, and, but I think that just God is love, and, and if you're loving, you can usually make it to the right path.
0: Well, and that goes along with that other side. I mean, that also we have to love one another, mm-hmm. that we have to be, not only is God love, but if we want to become like God, we must show that love to others. Absolutely. Um, well,
2: it is interesting because um, one of the things he talks about is God dwelling in us, mm-hmm. and John talks about that a lot. And so um, he goes through, and I was going to go through in uh just like you did with um, John two, how often he so starting in First John chapter two, um, there are ten times that he talks about the idea of God dwelling in us. So it starts in chapter two verse six where he says, um, "He saith that um, he that saith he abideth in Him or in Christ, ought himself also so to walk." even as he walked or as Jesus walked. So you can't say you abide in Christ Mm -hmm. or Christ abides in you unless you're living the way Christ does. And then over in verse 10, he says that he that loveth his brother abideth in light. So the way that we live in light is that love that you were talking about. Then he goes on in 14, ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. And so again, he talks about this, the word of God abideth in you. In um, twenty-four, verse 24 of chapter two still, he says, therefore um, abide in you when you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, then you shall continue in the Son. And so even though the word of God can abide in us, It doesn't necessarily uh, remain in us. And then in verse uh, 27 is the biggest one. He talks about the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but if the same anointing teacheth you of all things, it is truth. And even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And then in 28, and now little children abide in him. And so, um, of course, that anointing he's talking about is receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, is that the Holy Ghost abides in us and teaches us. So when you look at these many times, he's talking about the word of the Lord abiding in us and changing his heart, our hearts, I think is what we were talking about with the love, mm-hmm. that it needs to be in our soul, that it needs to be with us. I was recently with um, oh a, a sweet friend, and we were talking, and... As we were talking, I said to her, um, because we were talking about testimony and about spirit, and she was saying how sometimes she was confused and far away. And I said, for me, like, and, and I took an example from that morning when I'm in the shower I'll be talking with the Lord like you do in the temple yeah <laughs> and I was saying okay yesterday was not great a day I know I had a lot of things but what can I do today what do you think about this and this and this and just having that conversation with the Lord and you know kind of feel like he's directing me and I kind of had my list of things um to do that day and and one thing that I hadn't wanted to do I knew I should and um and then you you know you go when you write out your day and then you just do it So, um, but I said, isn't that the way it is for everybody? Like you just have this conversation where the Lord abides in you. And it's really the Holy Ghost that's answering. And I think too often we want to rip the tissue paper of the gospel apart and say, is it Christ that I'm talking to? Is the Holy Ghost? Is the Heavenly Father? And you're like, yes, because the Holy Ghost speaks the words of Christ it says in 2 Nephi 32, 3, which is one of my favorite scriptures, because it's so concise that, you know, angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. So it's Christ's words, but whatever Christ says is what the Father would say if because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So as we're having that conversation, it's with deity. Whatever <laughs>
0: Well, and I love the end of that verse because the words of Christ will tell you all, all things, things that you should do. Which is my shower conversation. And exactly. <laughs> and so those words of Christ should be the direction that we're going. And it goes on with your idea of chastisement as well. Right. Right.
2: But it's the idea that it's part of your very divine nature because right. you're partaking of the divine nature in your soul and it's part, it's like you're connected. Yeah. Like and I and I said, Isn't that the way it is for you? Because I just assume that everyone thinks the way I do, which I know isn't true, but I think that. And she turned to me and she said, No, because I must have, have may have done things that separate us from Christ. And I thought when she said that, I thought that's true. But then immediately the Lord will tell you what you need to do to come back. So you just do those things so you get back online. And it really is like being online. Mm-hmm. and um, and so that was surprising to me because I do think that's what he's talking about when he talks about the word abiding in us, that it's it's our inner thought that are in that we're walking in the light.
1: Can I just I actually think I, so um, when Peter talks about, his, his list of things to do, and it's faith, and um, virtue, knowledge. I think what you're talking about is godliness, having that God in oh, you, because then it moves oh. you. To, to have charity. brotherly kindness mm-hmm. and charity right because it always but, pushes but you out remember, to go serve somebody mm-hmm, else. you can't mm-hmm. have that godliness until you have that faith and patience first oh. so if you're already kind of have the patience and you lose the godliness it's quite easy to get it back but if you need to get to that godliness you've you got have you, have go through through the, you, have you have to have go through the you have to go through those steps you have
2: to go through those steps well and so. they're so similar to like repentance steps Yeah, it is. is. You know, we talked about the five R's and I think that kind of killed repentance in a way because it's more complex and it's more subtle in each of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is as you start and you strengthen your faith then you strengthen your, you know, patience because Mm -hmm. it's going to take time. Anyway, that's very, that is
1: very. I think it's hard to, at least I find it hard to have that level of godliness 24 seven. And where was that scripture again? Uh, It was in in second Peter. Uh, yeah, Second Peter 1, and that's 5 to 8. It's
0: a well, and I love the fact that Peter and John definitely knew each other they and were constantly with each other. I mean, even before the Savior came I into their that. lives. And so these concepts are something that's that true, all of I them would have I did wanted. want to read my favorite scripture because we talked about that,
2: that as he dwells in us and makes, makes me cry, we become more like him. And it's so funny because so often the scripture will read, I mean, uh, so we're at um, 1 John chapter 3, and it says, Beloveds, now we are the sons, and I would add daughters of God, Mm -hmm. and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, because we're still becoming. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him, purify himself even as he is pure. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and, and then just below that it says, and whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. There's no and it's because abides. he goes away as soon as you sin, so you have to pull him back oh, in. So if that is your line, if that inner like connection is your line, then when you go offline, you know it. And you can pull them back, and so it's getting to that place. But I love that that um, that. I always think of the resurrection, and in, in my mind, this probably isn't doctrinal, but it is in my brain, is that we're resurrected to who we really are on the inside. And so I think in our world today. I have a really hard time seeing through people's masks. And sometimes I'll think people are really together and then I get to know them and it takes me so long to figure out, they're taking me for a ride. And then someone else, I'll think something and then as I get to know them, you're like, oh, surprise, they're such a jewel. And I'm so bad at that. But that idea that in the end, we will be who we really are, that when you'll be able to look at people, they'll be who they are and the hope is that we, we, we
0: will be as He is, that we will find that we are truly like Christ. Well, and I think it's really important when we talk about becoming like Christ, it means that we have the love of Christ in our hearts. Absolutely. And I think all too often when we think of God as love, we want His love, rather than thinking about in order for me to become like God, I need to become that same love to other people. Mm -hmm. And that goes along with your idea of seeing people for who they are and seeing the divine nature in another person, even if they cut you off on the freeway or, you know, when they do something (laughs) really mean to you or say something against your children and you get the mama bear, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're still able to see and love them. But sometimes
2: that love only comes through God's love. Like when you don't have that love in your heart, you can turn and say, "Well, the Lord loves him. Lord, give me a portion of your love, so I don't like."
1: That's such a. I always had. I had a young woman leader who always said, "Whenever that happens, just think, either they're on the way to the hospital or they make great banana bread." Like just have (laughs) have a simple thing that comes to your mind where you're not kind of consumed by the anger. How something can just kind of pull you out and be like, "Great banana bread!" Ooh, I want to try it sometime. Random.
0: Well. I think the other thing that talks uh, that is interesting to me is in chapter 4 we're going to read verse 12 because this this scripture has had a lot written about in terms of other christian religions in terms of kind of a misunderstanding and in the joseph smith translation it kind of helps us understand what it means it says no man hath seen god at any time and then it goes on to say if we love one another God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected love in it's us. the dwell
2: in us again. Which goes God. on
0: to the dwelleth in us. But there's two kind of um, problems that, that a lot of Christians have with this. The first idea is that no man has seen God at any time, and they use that in terms of against Joseph Smith and the first vision. But the next one is if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, And they're seeing that as a physical dwelling, and so that how can God have a body of flesh and bones? And so, if we go to the Joseph Smith translation, and I was also going to say, if you keep on reading, it so explains it because it's through the, it's like it's through the spirit, right? And Joseph Smith. Well, and, and we'll read. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He is in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. But still that verse is still used yeah. in in that way. But if we look at the Joseph Smith translation, it says, No man has seen God at any time except them who believe. So that's a pretty important qualification. And it's one that we know that we we have a strong testimony that the prophet Joseph Smith in the first vision did see Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, that he did in in a real sense, see them in physical form. And this idea of theophany that we talk about, a vision of God, that we do believe that God is not a spirit, an amorphous being. Instead, he is with a body of flesh and bones. And President Gordon B. Hinckley, for me, gave such a fervent and strong testimony of this. He said, The greatest event that has ever occurred in the world since the resurrection of the Son of God from the tomb and his ascension on high was the coming of the Father and of the Son to that boy, Joseph Smith, to prepare the way for the laying of the foundation of his kingdom, not the kingdom of man, nevermore to cease nor to be overturned. Having accepted this truth, I find it easy. To accept of every other truth that he enunciated and declared during his mission of fourteen years in the world, what a powerful testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith and the fact that he did see God, because he believed in him.
2: Well, and I do want to say though that there's just those two lines: God is a spirit, and no man had seen God at any time, and. You can show he saw Moses face-to-face. You can show all those, but those lines are there. So there is that point of faith where we believe that this is a mistranslation through Joseph Smith and both of those, but it is a matter of faith. So when they come with those, you're just like, read it in context, Mm -hmm. because we do believe that part of God is God, uh, is the Godhead, and the Spirit does dwell with us. And so, you know, it's just like... You just have to do it in context, and then there has to be the faith. The, you know, it's because that one wins. Yes, there are those two lines that are translated wrong. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I do want to kind of go back to this idea of this, you know, accept them who believe. And a matter of fact, in the chapter before, in three, I'm going to read verses 21 and 22. John is saying, beloved, and I love the fact that he calls us beloved over and over and over again in these epistles. He said, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So this idea of we can have confidence in God that he will answer our prayers, even to the point of being able to see him. And I wanted to go to the prophet Joseph Smith in um, what he says very specifically. And I'm going to read in um, Joseph Smith history here. And I just I love the fact that he had confidence, even in the fact that, you know what, he wasn't quite sure how he was doing with the Lord at this time. And so I'm going to turn to Joseph Smith History. I'm sorry I didn't have that. Joseph Smith History, and this is after the fact that he, you know, had the first vision, so he had seen God already. But then on top of it, in this is verse 29 that I'm looking at, if those if you want to turn to it. He's had this period of time where he doesn't have, you know, that, this idea of being with God. And so during that time, he kind of, he said, look, I did kind of make some mistakes. I was a young man and I have a jovial personality and I love to have fun. And, and I s- love his foibles. Yeah, I love the foibles. I and so because of that, he's he's feeling like he doesn't have a direction. And I love that because all of us feel that at some time, that we don't have a direction and we want the Lord to come and abide with us. We want the Lord's feeling and thoughts again. But he had confidence that not only would he come again, but that he would have another vision. And this is in verse 29. In consequence of these things, and he's talking about his weaknesses, I often felt condemned for my weakness and imperfections when on the evening of the above-mentioned 21st of September... After I had retired to my bed for the night, I betook myself to prayer and supplication to Almighty God for forgiveness of all my sins and follies, and also for manifestation to me that I might know of my state and standing before him. And this is the part that I find so powerful. For I had full confidence in obtaining a divine manifestation as I previously had one. And this idea of having confidence that we will have answers to our prayers. I was wondering, have you ever felt that kind of confidence when you've been on your knees and prayed to the Lord? Well, I haven't felt confidence that I would receive a vision, but
2: I have. Um, I do have to say that I think of that scripture that talks about let your confidence wax strong in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that As you pray to the Lord and you do feel reconciled with Him, you feel that confidence with Him, then um, when you see Him face to face, that same feeling when you kneel to pray will be there and you'll recognize Him. And so I do think that as we connect with Him, that our confidence that, you know, that Christ is our Savior. And that we feel like he's on our side and we really understand how he works within us. Like we'll we'll be something we're not worried about or something that we don't. You know, worry about when he comes.
0: Well, I want to read that scripture that you just referenced, and that's found in, in section 121, verse 45, because Joseph Smith, who had that confidence, mm-hmm. basically gives us a formula. He says there's nice. three things that we have to do in order to be able to have that confidence. The first thing he says, "'Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men.'" which is just what you two were (laughs) talking about, right? (laughs) You know, that we have to have that love for other people and the love of God abiding in us to have that confidence. And then to the household of faith. And then the second one is let virtue garnish thy thoughts Mm -hmm. unceasingly. Which is so
2: cute because it's faith and virtues next, right?
0: Exactly. So we have this idea of charity, (laughs) faith, virtue, And then, and then, he says, and then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. And I do want to read this part, too, because the Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion. So that's what gives us the confidence, absolutely. The Holy Ghost is our constant companion, and thy sceptre an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth and that goes back to that idea that we were talking last week, oh, wow, about making sure you're calling an election, you know that that you have this confidence. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know that it actually happened, but you have confidence that you have a place, which is so interesting to me because so often we say. Calling election made sure you
2: want this magical thing to happen before you die that you know for sure, right. but and that in the end, right before Christ comes, that actually is going to happen, and we're going to talk about that later. But right. now we can have that same surety when we have the Spirit with us.
1: And can I just add? I think that there a part of that confidence is. Having experienced it once, at least once going and doing those things, having charity, having virtue, having faith, and then asking when you're good and having that experience. Because I know when I was a teenager, I had my first time where I was like, Heavenly Father, are you there? Do you love me? Right. And I will never forget my what I felt that day. I'll, like, I will always have a testimony of that. I always think back to that time. And it's like that... One moment has been enough that when I'm like, I haven't felt the Spirit in a while. I'm not doing what I should. That gives me the confidence to go and do the steps again, to repent, to stand upright. But
2: that really makes me feel like I want to say that was the day you were born of God. It's when it's you. And when we're given the Holy Ghost, it says receive the Holy Ghost. And for each of us, that comes at a different time. It was fascinating because when we were talking to Maddie and Faye at the um, fire thing, we were talking about our personal witnesses. Mm -hmm. And we went around and each person we wanted them each to say when they really felt the spirit. And so a dad said that he was 19 on his mission before he decided to read the scriptures for the first, the Book of Mormon for the first time. And he said, it was funny because it was the first time I felt the spirit in full measure. Like I had felt little inklings of other people's
0: spirits. Ten- like we talked sparks. about before. Right. Those sparks. But it was
2: the first fire right. he had felt. And so I, I was like shocked. But it was when he was spiritually born. Mm-hmm. And so I think we receive the Holy Ghost and it lays in wait until we have that first moment. And then we start on that path. And in between, we can, we get like the reflective light from other people. But that's when we start...
1: And, but an issue is, it's completely needs to be. It needs to be completely self-propelled. It does. Mine was. Mine was when we were alone. And it was in the um, the cat house upstairs <laughs> in my little my little thing. In your little but birth. no one else was home. It was like oh. I think, and it was also one of the first times where I had completely, of my own volition, done the steps needed to receive that answer of God. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard as a parent, because it's like. I can't you want to give it that you. Right. <laughs> you have to have it individually. So you just have to wait for them to be, Wow. for them to approach God themselves.
0: But that confidence does come. And once we have that, just like Joseph Smith, I just want to point out that both Joseph Smith and John are examples that we can hold yeah. on to of, of both people who have gained that confidence. And then illustrate it for us and say, look, we've been there, done that. Right. And because of the fact that we had these spiritual experiences, we can testify to you that if you too Mm -hmm. will make sure that you make yourself ready, that you can have the same experience as well. That's true. I was thinking
2: they were both boys when they had the first experience, though, you know, because it wasn't John the Beloved was one of the youngest of the apostles, as we're told. And then... Of course, and then Joseph, Joseph was small but too. It was, was but he too. was three and a half years, so he was 17 and a half when he had the second one. That's right. So he's still he was a little bit older. his little oats.
0: Right. But I did want to read so one other thing that Joseph Smith taught us, because when we talk about having confidence, the other thing that we can have confidence is that the Lord will answer our prayers. And he says here, this is in Doctrine and Covenants 50. I'm going to read 29 and 30. He says, And if you are purified and cleansed from all sin... Now, all sin, boy, that sounds like a lot, but this idea of purification comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and we know we can be purified of all sin. Ye shall ask whatsoever you will in the name of Jesus, and it will be done. But know this, it shall be given you what you shall ask." And that's the thing to realize. It's not <laughs> something that I can just ask anything. We've both anything, experienced that where right? you're going to
2: ask something he doesn't want, and you're like, okay, oh, we know you're not no, going to do it. No, mine's
1: asking for charity. You're asking for patience. Oh, And you're like, and you're like oh, you know, I'm really ready to, to to gain more patience. And then you get the trial. Oh, that, that gives you patience.
0: So oh, I, I do think that this is the key, you know, to have that confidence. When we ask something of the Lord, that number one, that we purify ourselves, cleanse ourselves from sin, but then on top of it, when we ask, we ask what the Lord wants us to ask. And if we go with that confidence that the Lord is going to direct our paths, and that when we ask and not amiss, that the Lord will answer those prayers, for me, that then Helps us to have more confidence, and more confidence, and more confidence, as we have those experiences over and over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes me think of one of the best prayers I've had. Have started with repentance. It's like you can even go through that process in a single prayer. Like I'll get ready. I'll be like, oh, I need to ask him for this. And I'll be like, Oh, first I need to apologize for this, please. And then, and then I'll, and then I'll ask for. And sometimes it'll change what I was originally gonna ask for. That's true. Because it's it's only because the Lord it's directs you. Direct, right. Like <laughs> well, I don't want I
2: do think too though. that um when we talk about repentance that we're taking weekly baths. Mm-hmm. You know, in the olden days they took a Saturday night bath, well we mm-hmm. take a Sunday right. morning the sacrament, bath. Sacrament. Right. So when we take the sacrament, if we are truly using that ordinance as it's meant to be, then we have that weekly cleansing. So we shouldn't have huge things. It should just be this week. Maybe we got a little off track, and we just pull it back, and so that that cleansing of all sin shouldn't be that daunting. So well,
0: and I need additional cleansing because I go to the temple at least once every week, sometimes too, and I need that extra cleansing, mm-hmm. you know, in the temple too, to remind me of those covenants that mm-hmm. I have made. Oh yeah, I think both pieces right are really important to help to help us be purified. Yeah, and have that confidence. Well, I know as we talk about being. Spiritually born again, the divine yeah, nature, that definitely is a theme for both Peter and John.
1: Yeah, and, and, and John says it quite clearly in in five in, in chapter 5, in verses his 4 to 6. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth in Jesus the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is a spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. Um, And there are just so many in those three verses, there are so many things that I love in each verse. Um, But I definitely when he just says, um, oh, who can overcome the world? But that believe in the son of God, you're like. In the world we are today, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that we can overcome because of how much in the political sphere and in, in, in culture I feel like there's a lot that um, is overwhelming. My oldest is now five and having to go out into the world and I'm very concerned with overcoming the world. How she can overcome the world and how I can um, overcome the world that seeps into our home. Um, And that's through faith. In John 5, 4, he says, For whatsoever is born of God. And that's the idea of being born again. So I actually looked up how often born of God and born of God is in the scriptures, and it surprised me that over half of them are in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. I've always heard the term born again and thought, oh, born again Christians. Mm -hmm. Right, that it's through the New Testament. It's through the New Testament. But it is so um, entrenched in the gospel, to become this new creature, to take upon Christ's name. And it is a little sad to me that I've always been like, oh, born again. Oh, that's a that's a new Christian thing. Like, that's just a weird thing when really it's the essence of our gospel. But I love that it said not by the water only. Yes. Because I
2: think sometimes we think those external covenants, and I just said it through our weekly, like, little right. <laughs> bath, right. through taking the sacrament and through those externals. But it's also understanding the blood of Christ, like really being connected to his atonement and feeling the Savior in our lives.
1: Yeah. And knowing which spirit is speaking to us. At the end of that verse, it says, "Um, and it is the spirit that beareth witness that is the spirit of truth. So helping once we're kind of born again, we know um, we'll be able to recognize that feeling of Mm -hmm. which is the feeling of truth. So when we're talking about born again, um, born again, Again, there are a lot of these topics that John talks that our current apostles are just like, well, let's have an entire talk beyond that. Because so <laughs> they're Th- so important. They're so important. Elder D. Todd Christopherson um, just recently gave a talk and says, you may ask, why doesn't this mighty change happen more quickly with me? Which I <laughs> often ask, or I guess, why doesn't it happen again and again and again? I know. Um, you should remember that the remarkable examples of King Benjamin's people, Alma, and some others in the scripture are just that remarkable and not typical <laughs> for most of us the changes are more gradual and occur over time being born again unlike our physical birth is a process is more of a process than an event And engaging in that process is the central purpose of mortality.
2: I love that. And it's so Because remember when they have no more desire to do evil? I know. And I'm like, how could that happen in a moment?
0: (laughs) Well, and Christine, doesn't this also have to do with this importance of walking in truth? I mean, it's hard to walk in truth in the darkness of the world around us. And so how do we do that? Well, I do have to, um,
2: just a word on Jude. Jude is really interesting because he talks about... Um, building up ourselves on our most holy faith, like really focusing on our holy faith. But then in doing that, and it's in verse uh, 20 of Jude. So if you go over to Jude, um, because Jude uh, warns us. So here we go. It says, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Number one, by praying um, in the Holy Ghost. So praying with Mm -hmm. the Holy Ghost is the first part. And then it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So kind of feel that love in your heart. And then third, of some have compassion making a difference. So for some people, show them great compassion. But of others, save with fear. So when you serve other people, serve them with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And so it says that in essence, as we serve with our charity, that we have to be careful that we serve correctly, that we love as God loves. So anybody, whether they're righteous or evil, you pull out of the fire. Mm -hmm. But when you really serve with compassion, it's for someone that is actually wanting the light, doing what's right. And so there is this line that part of building up our faith and learning to listen to the spirit is then using our charity appropriately. And he um, talks about how evil men have crept into the early church and that their feasts of charity have spot because they were just giving openly to anyone who wanted to come. And what was happening was that people were coming that were destroying the new church. The and he's early like, Christian you can't church. do it. Yeah. You have to say, okay, are you guys making the choices? Because you don't get the benefit without the choices. And this is what he warns of. He warns... There are those, and this is in verse 16 of Jude. Jude's just one chapter long, so I don't have to tell you that after. <laughs> Verse 16, there are murmurers and complainers, and I'm like, oops, I have to stop being one of those, walking after their own lusts, um, and their mouths speak great swelling of words. So what they say is great, but what they're really doing. So it's important that we look out for those things, that they really can have an ill effect. So as we build our faith up with positive words, then we have to show that compassion. But be careful, and he tells us to beware. And I think that is so interesting with um, everything we've said about God dwelling in us, that that is the only way we can truly show how to love. And we talked about what manner of love and how you can't spoil your children, but you still need to show them love as they're ready. Yeah. And that's what Jude is saying, is that we really need to as we serve. We only have so many resources, and so we have to use them the way the Lord would use them, and that will also build and strengthen our faith.
0: Well, and I did want to end our discussion kind of going back to a lot of the themes that we've talked about and this idea of having confidence, having confidence in the fact that we're trying to do what's right and that the Lord will answer our prayers and help us walk in truth and enable us to move forward. There was a wonderful talk given by Elder Jörg Leibengott. He talked very specifically about approaching the throne of God with confidence. And he gave this basically six very practical suggestions. And I wanted to kind of end with this and ask you, have you tried some of these and how did this help you? you John really talks very specifically about our spiritual journey. And I think a lot because John, his journey is going to be longer than most people's in terms of the amount of time that he's on the earth. And so because of that, I think that he does have a perspective that we need to read and study and understand. But this is what Elder got said. He said, first, take responsibility for your own spiritual well-being. Second, take responsibility for your own physical well-being. Third, embrace voluntary, wholehearted obedience as part of your life. Fourth, become really, really good at repenting thoroughly and quickly. (laughs) Fifth, become really, really good at forgiving. And finally, accept trials, setbacks, and surprises as part of the mortal experience,
2: <laughs> chastisement. So yes. So
0: so I just wanted to end with what are your thoughts about those six practical suggestions as we put in the context of what John has been teaching us?
1: I feel like they're not very practical. I guess maybe <laughs> not to have all six at the same time. I feel uh, like I'm like one. I'll be like one. I'm like okay. I'm at this I'm gonna one. I'm going
0: to try this it, one. It
1: I'm gonna slips try that as one. I work on another one.
2: You might as well say be therefore perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <And that's laughs> like physically, emotionally, always have. Yeah. The spirit. Like, that's heard. why I like where he said really, really good. Like, really, out. really like, good. Out. Okay, really good. At it, I know.
0: Or, you know Not really, so really. Yeah. Well, I think that as we talk about our lives and think about our lives, and I think yeah. that's kind of what John is trying to get us to do, is to really contemplate where are we, you know, as we're looking forward to returning to our heavenly Father. Where are we on that path? And I hope and pray that during our discussion of John that we do feel a little more love, that we do feel a little more understanding of our Savior Jesus Christ, and that we hold on to John's testimony that Jesus Christ did live and does live, yes, and that we can hold on to that in our own lives, giving us hope and the love of God in our lives always. Mm-hmm. So thank you for this discussion today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for watching Women Read Scripture. We hope to hear from you. Please write your comments below. Also, subscribe to our channel. We hope to see you again.